Please listen to this important disclaimer in its entirety. All participants of this Thug Crowd Radio episode are characters. None of the stories told during these episodes are based on facts, truth, or reality. All works of fiction displayed during this episode that resemble real-life situations are coincidental and are not meant to serve as guides or tutorials to commit any crimes in any country. Please consult an attorney for local laws and regulations. And as always, trust your inner criminal. Record these intros so you can just play them back on a soundboard. <laughs> All right, I think we might have to do that because we literally just uh, went without any audio. That's amazing. Wow, okay. audio works now. All right, cool, cool, cool. Hey, everybody, sorry about that. Um, yeah, that was um, that was on my part. So okay, <laughs> I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna do another another uh, screenshot here of everybody in here putting it in voices voice. Let's just say our names, introduce ourselves from the top. Decoded, poop sick. Yo, Maxwell Smart Cub. MG. KXX Faith. Read me. Shell. KXX Cal. Ted Cruz. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> All right, and hopefully uh, somebody in the stream chat just alert me if uh, there's any audio problems again, but we should be okay. Um, All right, thanks, guys. So, yeah, we have a lot to cover tonight. 
Um, we have a pretty big and broad topic, and we definitely have a lot of interesting little tidbits to share. Um, so today's theme is counter surveillance and anti-forensics. So this is kind of a topic that is uh, it's hard to really describe because it's, it's very broad and it's almost hard to discuss a lot of it without sounding like really paranoid. So <laughs> I guess we'll just um, kind of go through it with a, a level head and maybe delve deep into some true tinfoil hattery soon. So all right, let's go over the news real quick. Um, so the first news story we have is about Cloudflare's 1.1.1.1 uh, DNS resolver was allegedly BGP hijacked, or it was an accident. But is anybody um, was anyone following the story today? A little, yeah. Lol. Right. <laughs> right. It's just interesting either way if it was an accident or not. But and to be honest, I think one dot one like it, it's a uh, like it was one dot one dot one slash like slash twenty four. So and it was announced by uh, by by a Chinese corporation, um, which was pretty funny. Like it, it's definitely been plenty of cases where we've seen uh, mistakes in BGP, but I think one like this particular range, including. Cloudflare's public DNS the started. Um, you know, it's pretty. Uh, it's, it's you know, it's everybody kind of knows uh, what that is, and it's interesting that it would be uh, China that decided to you know announce that. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, um, do you think there's a chance that the this was a screw up just because one 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 one? is so commonly used in inappropriate ways. Yeah, interesting. I don't think it is because uh, uh, like, you know, there's reserved ranges ten, uh, like 10 dot, uh, like 10 slash eight or whatever. And, uh, you know, other reserved ranges for this kind of thing. That's true. Yeah. As I mean, <clears throat> go ahead. I would say, and it like it's such kind of like a high-profile thing too. It's not like uh, you know, just any old thing that just got oops, accidentally hijacked. Yeah, it it only happened for about what two minutes. Yeah, it was probably an accident. It was only two minutes. All the other IP blocks around one one dot one dot one dot one are all Chinese too, so I could see it being a typo. Huh. Are there any major crypto exchanges that have moved to Cloudflare very recently? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, all of them. I think, though, um, like what this does highlight, besides whether it's a mistake or not, um, is that like BGP is, is a trust-based model, and uh, people like you know people inherently trust their peers because they're on the network you know those border uh, routers are out there announcing whatever the fuck they want um and it really just highlights that you know the bgp is uh, a potential problem um and there's newer uh routing protocols as well that you know um are in use and and whatever but they're just not that wide scale on the internet yeah i mean i i, I... I have a feeling it's probably more of an accident than anything, but it's definitely just something to note for the future. 
Yeah. Uh, the well, next we, had a, we had the same. Uh, sorry, you. We had the same kind of class of attack happen against the the Google eight point eight uh, DNS server as an attack against my Ether wallet like a month ago or less. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was why. It, that's that's my first suspicion. Is it's uh, crypto related? Yeah. No, I mean, there's so many just weird instances, and it gets more and more high profile as we start using more and more centralized things like that. Um, so yeah, so the next topic was uh, malware was found in the firmware of 141 different low-cost Android devices. Now, supposedly, this uh, malware here, um, they called it uh, Costaloon. Um, it basically just ran from a system folder uh, with full root access and was just able to connect to remote servers, download um, the little XML file, and install uh, a bunch of apps. And nobody really knows where this came from or how it was actually infected. And it's interesting. I mean, I don't know, kind of a bit of speculation on how this happens. Um, but I always assume that some of the cheaper uh, Android devices definitely have some weirdo backdoor of some sort. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I bought a lot of cheap Android devices a few years ago, and a, a few major vendors had the same class of baked-in malware. There was a yeah. high-profile story where Amazon had a bunch of um, tablets and phones removed from listing because they all contained the same malware family. Um, I think the profit margin, if you go to Shenzhen and you buy like one of these cheap no-name tablets straight from the factory, um, the profit margins are so slim that um, you could actually go up to, to some of these guys in Shenzhen and say, hey, if you install this, uh, this app, this APK file, uh, you'll make like a dollar a month for the life of the device and they'll go yeah no problem because their yeah. profit margins are like five bucks per handset at most yeah that's a really interesting point because i mean that's there's so much incentive to to do that if you have a you know a, a very very cheap factory that is making very very cheap phones because i mean i i was uh, investigating a couple of different phones that i had actually that's where i learned about santoku um faith was for reversing or for doing forensic stuff on um this Android that I got called a CoolPad Rogue. And apparently this one had a very strange or very, uh, just very nefarious sort of um, like backdoor in, in its firmware. And it just connected to, uh, to Baidu servers all day and, and sent whatever data they wanted over there. So, but the, it, the price point aspect of it is very interesting because you know the cheaper that we get with our, our supply chain, you know, they're gonna. There's more risk for that kind of injection, especially if it's a really sort of like unregulated market of uh, random startups making random phones that you don't know where they came from. Right. Uh, and well, and an uh, these point. organizations are so small. Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say the interesting point in the article, like we're talking about supply chains here, but um, and I did mention something. We were talking briefly about Android supply chains. You know, I see a couple of days ago, but um. It's it's uh, if the device's language is set to Chinese and if the device's public IP is also a Chinese IP range, um, then something it, it, it behaves differently, which is interesting. Um, it could be government sponsored, or actually no, that's that's not true. Like what I'm more interested about is like how they penetrated the supply chain. Yeah, I mean it could be it could be anything. Hello. Yeah, I, I was just going to say, there's a little delay on the conference, but I was just going to say the UK is probably going to be another one. 
that once you're changed to it for the whole GDPR thing, it's going to treat you differently. So we're kind of getting into this territory now that based on your defined or location, you're going to be treated differently technologically speaking. That's true. With the um, with the supply chain thing, though, if we look at um, in comparison to to Apple, like you buy an Apple device from a factory, like from an Apple factory, which is probably in China anyway, definitely in China anyway for most component uh, components, um, and then the firmware, like iOS, comes directly from Apple. But if you look at the Google supply chain for for Android, it's like oh, so Google make well, you know, there's upstream Linux, and then there's like Google. And then they've got their Android, and then that goes to the device manufacturers, and then the device manufacturers give it to the telco, and then the telco just fuck it up a little bit more, and then they put their own bloatware on there, and then you buy it at a store, and that's like how most people, like in Australia at least, get their Android phone. So it's um, there's a whole bunch of people putting their thumb in the pie along the way. Yeah, I mean, when you look at the list of manufacturers. Like it's so wide and there's so many like weird, just random phones that I mean, some of these companies could be just buying like phones, white label, right? Not even designing their own phones. Like at this point, most of them are doing that. Most of them yeah. are actually doing that. And so I wouldn't be surprised if you see a lot of this same, like if you were able to track down to the actual like specific factories, um, you know, coming out of the same exact place. Um, and it's interesting. Like with Views well, example, mm-hmm. you know, the, the cool pad company that produces the cool pads, there's probably like one guy there that works on software and firmware. That's it. Oh, yeah. He just changes the bootloader, uh, splash image, and adds a couple of um, adware apps, and that's his entire job. Yeah. So we're not talking about people who actually care about their finished product, right? with almost probably any of these. These are just things that are just pushed. Yeah, and I think um, when they come out of the same factory as well, you're also sourcing parts like the the wireless modems, um, which have their own baseband firmware, which is done in the same way yet again. And again, it's it's different with with Apple because they obviously select their manufacturers. Whereas Android, like if we're talking about a dollar margin, for every phone or for whatever, like we're not talking about a, a lot of money per device. So obviously they're going to go with the, the cheapest modems and, and wireless rate, like radios that they possibly can. And if that's backdoor, does that really matter? Not really. We're making like a buck each, right? Dude, I was looking at like the D-Link firmware for the router that for the router stuff I'm doing. And there's like functions and there's like functions and bits of code and shit that are basically written by like five different companies. Uh, yeah, look at um, have a look at Sun Sun XI Linux. I mentioned it before. Um, it runs on like uh, QV boards and stuff like that. It's um, uh, like an embedded um, an embedded distro. Well, it's an embedded set of kernel modules for like all winner chips, and um, like in the audio driver for some random kernel, like or, like I don't know the kernel module for the audio something or other. I found like a um, like a, a format string that then is like passed into system in in the kernel. Like, why is that ever there? What the fuck? Hey, you said yeah. they're really. Are um, are there any of these guys or manufacturing places that are 
cheap and uh, we'll take orders online or fabrication orders online because that sounds like a badass way to get like a phone that comes stock with not Cali, but your own version of Cali and like hacking tools on it. Like, are there any public ones? Or are these all kind of something that? Uh, I think a lot of it's kind of underground. I mean, if you know a guy in Shenzhen or, you know, you know a guy who works at like one of those factories, they can probably do it for you. I mean, yeah, these are the same people who make like knockoff iPhones. For a dollar though, right? Yeah. <laughs> dollar, losing a dollar, giving it a try, that sounds interesting. You can get it pretty cheap because I mean a lot of the um, like actual like IP for the chips themselves has already been created, so you just have to piggyback on whatever firmware. And as they said, just change the splash screen and uh, install your own whatever you want on it, and then just push it out there. But um, yeah, it just reminds me. Just can you look up. Uh, um... Sorry, Faith. Sorry. Uh, um... Yeah, if you if you look at like Alibaba for like no name smartphones and tablets, you'll see a lot of um, wholesalers proudly selling their device as like a four gigabyte of RAM tablet, but it's actually only got like one gig or two gig of RAM. But they they say that in the description, it says system info shows four gig of RAM, but it's only got one gig of RAM. That's why it's thirty dollars. Um, yeah, and they're proud of that. So when they're when they're when they're making such a, um, a fundamental deception against their customers and and boasting about it as a as a wholesaler hey you could flog these uh these dodgy handsets off as four gig tablets um there's no, ethics are just completely out the window at that point like adware is nothing compared to lying about the amount of storage or ram in a device yeah, yeah so it reminds me of this um uh thing i saw on on, on counterfeit um stuff from out of chinese factories like midnight runs and and whatnot, and um, it was a 15-year-old kid whose uncle owned a factory or some crazy thing like that. And this kid had figured out how to uh, replicate um, some like cheap uh, network interface cards, like PCI 100 meg 100 meg NICs. And um, he actually was, you know, pretty good at electrical engineering. But it turns out that he really sucked at um, at networking because every single device had the same MAC address. <laughs> what the fuck? Yeah, so it was like fine if you buy one, <laughs> just don't buy two. <laughs> That's awesome. All right, hey, we should get to the next topic, which is actually something I was really interested in. I was talking with uh, Readme about this for the stream. So this is about the ultrasound firewall for a mobile phone. So the ultrasonic audio thing. Has anyone here played with it before? Um, like Google Nearby or Silver Push. These are two different technologies that are used for that. Come on, yeah. ultrasonic stuff? Yeah, so this is I, like... Go ahead. What were you going to say? I was making sure I was listening to the right thing there. Yeah. This is um like, basically like your devices can, or other devices can send uh, data over audio to smartphones, similar to what we've discussed before with like ultrasonic stuff for Alexa, but this is something that um, that people have, I guess, been using as a way to track people um, by using ultrasonic sounds to pass data back and forth between your phone without you knowing. Um, and so, apparently, this I didn't, I really didn't know that this was a thing, and people have made a firewall to basically detect the 
sort of the signatures for this ultrasonic data transfer and then disrupt that signal so the phone won't be able to um, like actually interact with it. Yeah, that's really, that's interesting. The ultrasonic thing, um, so many people that I've, that I, I, that are not really that deep into InfoSec um, worry about this kind of thing about, you know, do you know that your Google like devices and stuff nearby, like talk to each other, your, whatever. But I think there's like, it's in the realm of like uh, creating extreme paranoia. So it's, mostly, like, well, it's mostly for like advertisement, but it's been used in high profile de-anonymizing. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, I think it's like pretty awesome to be able to detect um, that. But I think one problem that we have with this type of firewall is this, this has to be at the application layer, right? Yeah, so this is something that would be on the phone that would be doing that. And, and I, well, I, I think right? mentioning the, the marketing advertising aspect of this is interesting um, to, to consider, especially with all the other privacy invading things that are typically in the realm of tinfoil hat, but as soon as you throw uh, marketing at it, it's different. Like the, the news today about, what was it, geofencing used for uh, ambulance chasing lawyers to target people who are detected as being geofenced inside of a hospital. Hmm. That's low. Hmm. Yeah. But, it, but it's that, that level, right? It's like, oh, nobody's going to be using this against me. And then, oh, wait, advertising. <laughs> That's, yeah. It's honestly, I feel like advertising is the way to make a lot of this sort of thing real for people because you don't think yeah. about it until you think yeah. about, oh, who's trying to give me a, like a pop-up ad for like, <laughs> you know, been in stores when there's been like um, you, you go past the billboard and it'll be like ah oh, like if you have Bluetooth on you can receive like the, the <laughs> code or something like that. It's like oh, no, thank you. Yeah, yeah. Eddie Stone and other protocols like that for um, sending those kind of things is really weird. I know CVS uses those in America. If I, if I had a bunch of money, uh, you kind of approach this like like weave to some extent where you abuse it. Uh, although more for awareness training. So like the geofencing thing, that would be great to screw around with and like, hey, we noticed you walked into the HIV clinic uh, today. What's up? Um, <laughs> and, and just push that out just to get people to be uh, a bit freaked out. Uh, yeah, one thing, I, so well, I was talking to a conspiratard at a, uh, in fact, a juggalo conspiratard at a barbecue that I did. <laughs> And um, I, I was stuck there with uh, for a while, and I, I got tricked into showing up. And there's these conspiratards telling me all this stuff about Organite and whatever. And one of the guys was uh, really concerned about something on his phone. He's like, "Oh, you know about technology?" I'm like, "Yeah." So he pulls out his phone. And he's like, "I got this message from the the local fire department that said there was a fire in my area. Like, how did they get my number?" And I was like, <laughs> what, what, "What do you mean? Like, they didn't get your number?" And he's like, "Well, how did I get a message?" I'm like, "Well, you were on the cell." you know, in the location of the fire, like they send it to everyone. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it's definitely something we can also discuss later on too, but this sort of, this whole sort of uh, infrastructure that's been put into place already on smartphones is, you know, obviously ripe for leveraging for any organizations for marketing specifically, but, you know. So, yeah, so the more, the more practical application that you would see is something like uh, Alexa, or Google listening, and you're list, you're watching TV, and an advertisement comes on, and that advertisement plays an ultrasonic sound that your device picks up, 
and they know what what you're watching so it's like a reading system mm -hmm. and so the idea i think is that this device that you could I, th I think it's open source you could build something put in your living room listen for those signatures and then when it hears that sort of communication start happening it would disrupt it yeah and that's you know pretty sweet but do we have do we know about like so uh we've done it on the show before where we've told um Hey Google, set an alarm for six a.m. tomorrow. Yes, or whatever. But um, it's here. Oh, I just got myself. Um, but like, do, do we know <laughs> if uh, do we know if that works with the ultrasonic stuff as well? If it's listening on those frequencies as well, can we um, like, w w is there a way to give a command? Do we know if there's a way to give a command to a device using the same sort of technique? MG, had you? I don't know if you're busy right now, but I. I I think you had mentioned something about that before with um, ultrasonic stuff for Alexis. Yeah, yeah. So um, last I checked, uh, Alexa, Siri, et cetera, they don't filter for it. So um, you can take ultrasonic and you have to process it so that, um, yes, it runs on ultrasonic as like the carrier wave, but it gets interpreted. I think they're doing some type of modulation in there. But uh, the, the Alexa or whatever will hear it as an actual voice command. So, yeah, um, if you have a uh, sufficient enough powered ultrasonic speaker, uh, you, can, you can trigger these things. And um, there's also, it's, it's worth noting in here that they are, at least some of these are detecting. They're actually looking for certain things. Like you can, um, I think there's two bands you can notch. Uh, basically, you, you notching is uh, removing that frequency. So if you take two chunks of a very specific set of bands out of a command, uh, usually used for you know TV or whatever, where you don't want to trigger people's uh, Alexas and series, that that can be done. So they're actually checking for that. So it's it's very interesting that they are not checking for the ultrasonic frequency. Yeah, sound like a feature or a bug. Well, yeah, I don't. <laughs> uh, oh, oh, the notching. The notching is intended. It's uh, if you're if you're going to broadcast something uh, for entertainment, you can put the notches into the the Siri command or the Alexa command, and it will not trigger all the nearby ones. Interesting. Hmm. All right, um, Rudolph, are you there? I'm not sure if he's here or not, but he had. Uh... Talk to me about covering this next story here. Um, so if you can hear me, say hello. Um, oh, no problem, no problem. Hey. Um, so yeah, so we wanted to discuss real quick this uh, bug here. <laughs> so repeat. mean that uh, you can't 
uh, intercept the data in any way. No malware or virus, for the sake, can intercept the encrypted data. But they found a way to get bypass this with a with an exploit exploit called Severed. Um, but uh, but uh, while I was reading it, I couldn't actually um, get how it was working. It was uh, uh, the exploit was based on the way that the translation protocol for the data from guest to physic go from guest physical address to uh, the translation by the VM itself works, but mm -hmm. I can actually get like how it works itself. So yeah, it basically said something, there's this uh, secure encrypted virtualization thing that is supposed to encrypt on the fly. And yeah, I was looking for more info if anybody had any on how this worked, because the article that I have here doesn't give too much information on how um, you can actually do this, but it's basically ways to decrypt um, files of virtual machines that are on your there's a, there's a white paper on that oh wait so all right so apparently yeah uh, if you sent a lot of http uh, html page requests to an apache service uh apache ends up leaking data over time from within the protected vm so i guess i'm i'm not sure honestly uh i wouldn't <laughs> Yeah, I'm not, I'm not, uh, apparently you sent, but this sounds more like an Apache vulnerability overall, not really, you know. Uh, I mean, I must see that within, actually, no, I, yeah, you're right. So, yeah. Yeah, is, I've seen it within, within um, not specifically within AMD's virtualization stuff, but uh, other other leakage, leakages similar to like Rohammer or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, with like cache bank hammering um, of OpenSSL on adjacent threads. Of, I think I talked about it. I probably talked about it before. But um, again, like it, AMD are talking about it, um, doing this at the hardware layer. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's what kind of makes it a little bit different. Um, so my understanding though was that so the, the images that were shown in the article was um, the encrypted chunks of memory. Um, at different places, um, uh, at different places, uh, like intertwined with other VMs, so that, that it wasn't sequential across, you know, a region specific to that VM. Um, and then it was the article's image was only showing that that VM was able to access other chunks of encrypted data. So, is it the case where it can actually cross, like that virtualization layer, onto memory from other Virtual, like other virtual machines on the same. So, so you're basically talking a bit like can leak from hypervisor to hypervisor. Yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, so is this it, so when, when you were to, if you were to trigger this attack, would you need to be on DOM zero, or could you do it from, uh, like a DOM U? No, no. There's no. There's no actual DOM. Um. Uh. Because Apache by default, it doesn't run. It doesn't run. It doesn't run in uh, Ring Zero. So, it, so I'm guessing this is no matter what. But this appears to be an Apache vulnerability in itself, not actually the hypervisor's fault, unless it's claiming that allowing Apache to access memory is wrong. But like I've been reading the article and. I don't get how this ends up being the fault of AMD itself. It seems like an Apache vulnerability over time. So, yes, it says that they set up a pro, uh, an AMD Epic 7251 processor with uh, with the secure encryption enabled and uh, Debian 
system installed, right? Running Apache. And the thing is that uh, they just started firing a bunch of HTTP, uh, HTTP requests at the Apache service, and it ended up leaking over two gigabytes of memory over time. So this doesn't really seem like uh, like the hypervisor's fault. Like, well, okay, but if it's should... leaking memory, so so we've got Apache leaking memory, and who, yeah. uh, who is actually able to read the memory? Is it the singular VM that it's currently on, or is this supposed to be protected across VMs? Because like the diagram on oh, page. Oh well. Oh wait. Right. All right. So the 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 full out um the the secured encryption uh virtualization scheme it uh it encrypts and decrypts virtual machines on the fly uh, while they're stored in RAM. So this is for each machine, for each virtual machine. So no, no machine, no, this is more in for the outside world. The outside world can't snoop in on the data for any virtual machine, no matter what. Okay. So, so yes, yeah, so yeah, each yeah. virtual machine has, a, has encryption. Yeah, they're all protected individually. All right, so it's fair to say that your neighbor can't be reading your memory. Well, at this stage anyway, well, but um, it's fair to say that your neighbor can't be reading your memory, but your neighbor processors might be able to. Um, I mean, theoretically, I guess. I don't think so, though. I mean, uh, do you, all right, so are you talking about, like, two different virtual machines intercepting uh, their own data? Uh, no, so let's let's focus on a singular virtual machine, and uh, yeah. chunk, chunks of its memory um, are encrypted, and they belong to a uh, to a process. So, do all the processes on that box use the same crypto scheme, or is it like where is the where is this hardware encryption happening? Oh, all right. So this encryption doesn't get sent into the system itself. All right. So um, how would I explain this? Uh, this encryption scheme isn't on a per process basis. It's on a uh, virtualization basis. It doesn't actually touch the the kernel, the virtual kernels um, itself. Uh, so it's just it's transparent to DOM zero then. Yeah. Oh, sorry, trans yeah. Transparent to DOM. Transparent to DOM U. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so the break. So, so where, where then is this exact attack? What can we have a? Do we have an example of uh, like a theoretical sort of how you would use this uh, to actually gain access to leaked memory? Is it just like uh, there's a whole bunch of shit that is is being leaked out? Um, and you know isn't referenced anywhere and we can just sort of scan through ram until we find something like scan through dev dev mem until something comes up is that the kind of idea yeah i mean it kind of just looks like it's about just firing requests and it says that uh the team who had researched this was able to lift like two gigs of memory from the targeted vm so I mean I don't know how practical it is, and I don't. I mean I still have to finish. Yeah, honestly, this just sounds like an information leak by somebody who doesn't spec. Like it sounds like they they uh reported an information leak by somebody who's not well maintained in the information security business. All right, I I think I think this attack requires an evil hypervisor, is the is the idea because there's a problem in the uh, memory. Uh, tables like the virtual 
you know, the chip that translates the virtual memory to the physical memory. So I, I think it's actually the, the hypervisor that is allowed to read memory that would otherwise be encrypted by quickly moving it around, you know, to ex ex exploit that, uh, that chip that handles the translation of virtual memory to physical. All yeah. Right. So, yeah. All right. So, so the whole point of this was that the the hypervisor it uh it was observed like they found this um issue by observing when the hypervisor uh when a guest accessed physical RAM inside the hypervisor. So it, it is in the translation process, but it doesn't really sound like uh an issue by AMD itself. It rather sounds like um like an information leak or something of the sort, because it's only, it's two gigabytes of memory uh, from, by the VM. And it was extracted by an Apache, so by an Apache service. So it's a remote attack, that's for sure. It can be done remotely. And the memory is at random. So that would actually be uh, an information leak and nothing of use. I mean, it's not really a, a big issue on this end. Yeah, it's interesting, an interesting sort of class of, of bugs that we've seen where it do memory leaks and things like that. That's why I guess I included because it, it seems like it was interesting. <clears throat> I think, um, yeah, if you want, like, it's also mentioning Apache Nginx and OpenSSH uh, in the paper as well as also being uh, tested. So I think um, if you're a, a serious um, kind of organization with a lot of money and time, um, this would definitely be like if you had a. I guess you'd need a target. If you had, a, you knew where these chips were, you knew what those machines were doing, and you had the money and time to back it up. Um, otherwise, we're kind of sitting in a little bit of theoretical land. Yeah, no, definitely. There's. It's it's hard to really predict what the practical use is going to be. Maybe with something like World Hammer, other uh, just random bugs we've seen where you can do stuff that's so like esoteric and time consuming that it, it seems like it's impractical, but there's always somebody with more time than you. <laughs> That's all I gotta say. Um, we should move on to the next topic though, which I thought was interesting and I wanted to see what you guys had to say about this. So <clears throat> the FBI had said something about um, how Russians had compromised some routers with this malware called VPN filter. Um, and supposedly they had, Cisco had, as the people who had first reported it, and they had targeted a bunch of different router vendors. And um, I guess the short list of things that it does is it seems to try to target SCADA through Modbus. And it also has a kill switch that is designed to destroy the router, the infected router, on command. <laughs> I just want I just want to say, just quickly looking at the article, um, the, the very last line sticks way out to me. The hacking mm -hmm. threat reportedly targeted devices from Linksys, uh, Mikrotik, Netgear, TP-Link, and QNAP. If you have an industrial control system protected by Linksys, Mikrotik, Netgear, TP-Link, or QNAP, or you have a QNAP NAS or something, just like destroy your own network. You've already done it. <laughs> <laughs> like, like if you're going to be running these kind of things, you need enterprise shit and um, which gets into our thing later. There was, you know, some um, uh, backdoor, you know, backdoor through USPS, CIA, Cisco routers, and shit like that. But I mean, 
the Listen, the, the, the guy at Best Buy said this router was secure. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Geek Squad like, called it. Yeah, Lockhow got uh, zero days into this week, obviously. Like, duh. <laughs> yeah, I mean, once again, you have like a million dollar machine you're protecting with a five dollar router. <laughs> I love how um, their advice was uh, tell people to reboot it, and that was kind of it. That was from the FBI. That's what they said. <laughs> so that's really interesting as well because like these firmware updates uh, for these routers, like they could be patched, but and and the, all of the ones that I saw. Um, at a glance, they're all embedded Linux, right? So when you talk about patching embedded Linux routers that are of this quality, you're generally talking about telling the user to log in, download a binary, unzip it, like go to a web form, click it, it checks a checksum, and then it pushes it to the device. Um, it can be done over the air, and there's a few protocols, for example, TR69, which will remotely reboot, get stats, um, push firmware upgrades, set configuration options, that kind of thing. Um, but the problem with uh, pushing a firmware update to fix something like this versus just rebooting the router, which is crazy, just rebooting the router. Um, but the thing that, that really gets me with it is that the, the over-the-wire and over-the-air updates come with a fail rate that is significantly high for the amount of routers that you're going to be pushing um, with a chance of no remote recovery. So how do you patch it? Like as a as an organization, like as a telco, as whatever, how do you patch all these like routers that are out there that are vulnerable? Like the FBI telling people to reboot is like, oh, reboot until next time you get infected with a memory resident thing. Well, I I remember when uh, Cisco owned Linksys for a short time, uh, they turned on automatic firmware updates, and uh, it pissed a lot of people off. Um, and it, but I mean, ultimately, it's probably it's, it's good for a lot of people because a lot of people just buy the things and plug them in. Um, but during that same time, uh, they had remote administration uh, turned on. Uh, it was exposed on on the WAN. So what I what I took away from this um, the the story was that rebooting the router got rid of stage two and stage three of the malware, um, but it didn't get rid of stage one. And I think stage one was implanted by remote administration being turned on and people having default credentials. So ultimately the strategy, I guess that the FBI was taking is that after a reboot, um, they would have to they would have to go, whoever did this, right, Russia or whatever, would have to go do it all over again to get back to stage three. And if someone, and if these people also reset to factory defaults and change the password, um, like what was recommended, then stage one um, also goes away, which stage one is like, you know, uh, who knows, maybe they're just like hijacking uh, DNS or something, because obviously they're not flashing the firmware uh, with stage two and three, because then it would have, you know, some persistence. Yeah. Um, reading it, it seemed like what they were doing was their C2 was like photo bucket or some sh or Flickr. And they were pulling images um, and then reading EXIF data to find IP addresses to connect back to. 
which is pretty cool. Yeah. So I think, yeah, that's, it sounds like that's exactly what they want to do is just reset it so that, you know, it's not like actually going on anymore and they have to go back and re-export everything. Yeah, I think um, one of the things that is totally missing again, like supply chain we're talking about earlier, is like the the firmware supply chain as well for uh, for routers because like once a router is end of life, it's definitely in grandma's basement. Like it's turned on forever, and until her internet stops working, until it literally physically breaks, um, it's on and it's probably infected, and she's probably DDoSing people. It's funny. I actually saw. I was driving around the other day. Uh, <laughs> I saw. Uh, a router using web encryption still, and it was literally just called like grandma's router. <laughs> Two girls, one router. <laughs> um, hey, the next uh, the next topic here, I thought it was actually really interesting. Um, it's about the Pentagon and their plan to basically figure out how to determine that you are who you are um, in the next two years. So. Um, they used to use things like, or they still use things like common access cards and other sort of uh, like ways to get into secure locations. But this is pretty interesting. This so basically they're proposing a thing that's going to be embedded um, like in your smartphone's hardware and will be like a replacement for the traditional sort of cards. They'll collect a bunch of data about how you move and act, how you like use your phone, things like uh, like wrist tension and how you walk. Um, basically, all the little fingerprints of you um, using that, and then using your your phone as like a hardware token to basically prove that you are who you are based on how you've used your your phone. So, like, let's say you stole a phone from somebody who was, um, you know, some high up uh, military official, and it would trigger it to say, "Hey, you're not walking the way that you normally walk, or you're not putting as much pressure onto the buttons as you normally do." Um, you know, it's not you. And when it, so basically like it would create like a risk score that um, goes up um, the more times you sort of fail the uh, little verification points and then ultimately block access if you uh, have too high of a risk score. What if you had a car crash and you came back to work, everyone congratulates you and then you just get locked out? Right, you have like a stroke. <laughs> you have a stroke. You have to start yeah. using, like you're left-handed and you have a stroke and yeah. It's funny they don't look at this for like medical diagnosing, like people that have like Parkinson's and stuff try to like use it for that good, but nope. <laughs> like, this is, good, this is probably going to end up with the director being locked out of the Pentagon or something because he gained some weight or some shit. Yeah, yeah right. he gets really drunk on some days when he gets to work, like before he gets to work. <laughs> I think yeah. this is going to have the same failure as um, any other biometric multi-factor authentication thing which is once you've actually captured um, the valid data points and replay them you, you can't change them, you can't change your face, you can't change your fingerprint, you can't change your gait unless you have a car accident but um, these, are, these are like hard passwords that, that can't be changed um, I like this is just for like the can. This is just like the TINS network, right? T-E-N-S, like with the cat cards, access cards. Yeah. So, I mean, just an, it's just an additional layer. I'm sure it'd help on some level in case you dropped your access card. 
do you guys remember um, when the iPhone came out with its whatever the latest one is, the, the latest fingerprint technology they brought out? And it got defeated by, I think, some Germans using the same exact same t- techniques for like, uh, you know, lifting gummy fingers. bears. Sorry, yeah. who was it? I think they use gummy bears. I've seen all kinds of different ways they they've beaten uh, them. No, uh, this this was like they they lifted a fingerprint with like sticky tape, and then they used a, like an adhesive in a fish tank kind of thing. They built it up, and then they just made the fake fingerprints, and then were like, oh, I got fingerprints now. It's like a really old technique. Yeah, I remember watching a DEF CON talk um, where they just used, like they literally made a game out of it and saw how many different like items they could use to uh, get the fingerprint. Sometimes they would just like take a fingerprint that was even still on the device and just push something up against it and it would read. So, um, oh, wow. I'm not going to say where I worked or whatever, or if I even worked there, but uh, there was one particular secure location um, that I was uh, working at for a short period of time. And I, I can confirm that the fingerprint scanner at the time of the turnstile into the knock was opened with a man's penis. <laughs> Instead of his fingerprint, he used his penis. That wasn't you, right? was not me (laughs) yeah definitely sure dude but dude i was like i I watched it happen and i was like holy shit how now you thought that's a unique sorry it was a unique like (laughs) it's a unique like it's every man have a unique uh dick print my experience I think it was just more of a show that, like, it didn't matter, like, if, if the fingerprint was close and the error margin was so huge in that specific system that he, he using an entire, entirely different appendage, he was able to open the tent style. <laughs> that was that was totally you. I know it was. I, I wish it was. <laughs> um. So the next thing we have on here is the uh, get security vulnerability that has happened or was just uh, disclosed today. Uh, of course. This is yeah. pretty funny um, because it's not, um, it's not unique. We've actually seen this before in <laughs> similar um, methods. I think DEF CON last year showed Git command and control. So like if you have access to a repo, you basically create like a CNC every time um, devs like push and commit. Um, yeah. But in this case, so uh, yeah, I'll just quickly run over Git hooks. Like with, with Git hooks, you have a folder and you get directory and you, you put stuff in there. Uh, you put shell scripts in there with specific names and then on events, those scripts are triggered. So um, uh, post commits pre, like post commits is to make sure that you run your JavaScript linter. So your linter looks correct and, and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's no limit to what you can actually put in these scripts. Now, Git have had the foresight to disable running certain hooks and, and not cloning the actual um, hook directory when you when you clone a Git repo. Because remember, a Git repo, when you clone it, is literally as it says it's a clone. It's an exact copy. Um, and now the hooks are, are left on like the, the server that you, you push to so that if you have hooks to trigger uh, CICD, like, you know, build, build um, assets or whatever, that that won't be triggered on when you when you start doing shit on your dev host. 
Um, now, where this vulnerability lies is with submodules, because sub like once you pull the submodule, um, there's like post checkout hooks. So on post checkout of a submodule of a um, of a of a Git repo, then that would be uh, that would be triggered. So first of all, submodules actually suck to begin with, and second of all, they're really hard to use and keep up to date properly, um, which is why like a lot of you'll find a lot of people don't actually use Git submodules. Um, but in the case where they do, like if you're an attacker and you control a Git repo, you can add a malicious sub repo, like 15 repos deep. Um, and then, you know, as part of the, the normal sub module, um, checkout, like pull recursive from upstream or whatever, um, you would get that hook to execute on someone's machine with the privileges that they were running, uh, Git as, which in a lot of like production environments or, or, uh, development environments, or whatever, if you're checking out some specific code, a lot of uh, DevOps will do it as root because they don't have writable directory. Like they don't have uh, writable um, access to where the files need to be checked out. So they'll just like sudo git pull rather than like sudo make the like CD, like git checkout dot and then whatever. So it's pretty interesting how it can be used. Yeah, definitely. Especially like in, in the rapid sort of prototyping and, and just cloning repos and stuff. And pushing into production. Yeah, definitely very uh, interesting how this can be leveraged. That's, yeah, yeah. That that's a, seems like a fundamental failure of just the idea of having a post command that can automatically execute when you clone a repository. Um, that just seems like really terrible thinking to me. I understand why, why it exists, but maybe they need to split off like git clone and git install to be two separate kind of things. Like an installation of a package is going to have a download and execute thing, well, they, but they actually, to clone a repository, that's like adding post, that's like adding a file inside a tarball that runs commands when you extract the tarball. It just seems like a fundamental fail to me. Right, but they've already actually addressed that. So like when, if you get pull um, and there is a hook, like that won't be executed. But if this in this case, they've missed it because it's when you have a second git repo that is the malicious repo, and then it is added as a submodule of the first one. And then, so if you get pull, it doesn't pull submodules. You have to pull them um, separately. And it's like, like I said, it's a pain in the ass to manage. So most people don't use them. But where the, where the bug lies is when that, when you do pull recursively, that post checkout hook is unintentionally executed. Don't you also have to use like dash, dash like recursive to get the submodules? So you can't just do a normal git clone, right? No, it's not a normal git client. It, it's like git sub sub module um, update recursive or something like that. Okay. Yeah, like other other IDEs like Visual Studio, they they have to patch that client side because they natively handle that um, in the GUI. So, but that's why I say it's like a fundamental issue. You're relying on like uh, you're relying on uh, uh, the security understanding of developers, which is always going to fuck you over. Yeah, Git's had some other bugs in the past as well that have been probably, I would say, more critical than this. Um, however, like, they address them pretty quickly. Like, you know, all the major, like, the GitHubs and the GitLabs and, and whatever um, address it quite quickly, and there's usually packages the next day. But then you've got to look at the kind of dev who uses Git and your average kind of guy who just has a MacBook Pro with Git installed and Ruby on Rails, like, 
he's probably never going to update git unless he gets it from xcode um because xcode installs git tools on mac i believe but yeah so unless he does his mac Good updates point. you know and on git for windows i think i'm pretty sure now it's in integrated with visual studio like you said but i think it's still a separate package so you could either patch it manually um, on your system or you could do it through um visual studio um and then on ubuntu for example um git is part of the base image now yeah definitely um it's i just think i just think fundamentally is a bad idea and that the other edge cases will pop up eventually in the future where um somebody's cloning something thinking it's just updating a couple of files and it's actually executing some command um yeah, and they have no idea about it i think it's a terrible concept um, <laughs> one of one of the things that, where it is used is um for example uh there's a there's a post a post push uh, uh hook that i use kind of often which is used um to notify um a, a webhook via like into slack or discord or like whatever like whatever the team is using um and it says you know hey new new commit by this guy or seven new commits or new merge or whatever like that and um yeah you set like a bunch of those up and then on the you know if, if the branch is master then um then trigger like ci cd so if you're able to trigger the ci cd uh using like this sub module and you had malicious code in the sub module to attack like the ci like <laughs> and then you like you know you pop the maybe um bamboo box or something like that um or like buildbot or whatever jenkins um i think that's that's going to be some pretty hilarious sort of bug chaining like that way Absolutely. So we're actually getting closer to the end of the news segment. We've got one more story of this kind of a segue into our counter surveillance uh, and forensics categories or topic of the week. So, um, yeah, the last story of the week here is Orlando's police are testing um, the real time facial recognition by Amazon in Orlando. So if you guys are stopping by this summer, um, say hi to the cameras because they're already watching you. <clears throat> Fun masks. So yeah, basically, the, they're trying to do massive facial recognition, and they're doing a pilot study of it. It's apparently limited, but it will roll out, I guess, after full testing. So if they see a person of interest, like say somebody on the most wanted list or somebody who tried to unlock your phone, um, it can notify the city, and it'll track their past movements throughout the city and be able to tell them where they were what they were doing and be able to identify them. And this is Amazon's top tier uh, technology of us doing this. And it also um, gets them for jaywalking, right? Oh, wait, no, that's when China did the same thing. China, yes. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so this is interesting because, I mean, Amazon's facial recognition, we saw it uh, with the school last week and there's other institutions that are probably raring to have this sort of thing pulled out. Because it'll, you know, make it easier for the police to nab people, but at the same time, you're also just getting tracked 24/7 by your face. Yeah, I feel like Amazon, uh, like big data cameras, is like a recurring segment on the show now. <laughs> like... <laughs> no, I mean, uh, I... so someone linked a topic um, in one of the channels. I can't find it. It's been looking real quick. 
where um, using a ski mask, because, you know, we're always laughing about ski masks and shit because this is thug crowd, right? Um, yeah. using, using a ski mask, glasses and hats, like, aren't good enough anymore. Yeah, actually, I posted a, or I put a link in the show notes that uh, about, this is an older thing, but um, yeah, even, even a mask won't hide you from the latest facial recognition um, technology. So actually, I'll post this in the chat right now. This is, you know, the, I've I've seen this used in the past for they tracked ISIS with um like ISIS members based on their oh, hand, yeah. and so yeah, they jihadi. yep. So when they when they uh, would would say like where they post pictures of sort of uh you know bombings and and other places they captured, they'd uh, have people that were just giving like the, the victory sign and they were able to enumerate who was who based on just their hand and how they held their hand. And so there's other data points. I mean, we're talking about like the gate uh, detection and other sorts of um, really, really subtle, but really, really, uh, I guess, unique fingerprints of each of our movements and, you know, yeah. our structure. Bi biometrics in general just isn't about the face. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's, I don't know. It's going to get weirder and weirder, I think, over time. Yeah. I mean, and in that same article, it talked about how the scarf and the sunglasses and which, like, had a 55% like, effectiveness rate mm -hmm. um, just by a single researcher using, of course, limited training data. Um, uh, like I said, as a POC, it's pretty insane that you can get 55% if someone's covering their face with a, you know, a scarf and, um, and sunglasses. But at the end of the thing, you said, oh, yeah, I'm going to be working on, um, like, facial detection, facial recognition through, like, hard plastic masks next, mm -hmm. uh, which is absolutely bizarre to think about, that, you know, tracking facial features through, like, actual piece of plastic. Um, but I mean, I've, I've seen it done on Facebook, like, would you like to tag this person and the two, there's two people wearing, like, the the plastic 4chan man anonymous masks? Oh, yeah, you shared that picture before. That was really creepy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, do you, like, these two people, it's like, do you want to tag them? It's like, holy shit, like, they're literally, faces are totally covered. Um, and that was a while ago. That was, you know, that, that picture was from maybe years ago now. Yeah, like an older picture. I mean, I think that just shows you the like importance of large data sets when doing, and like the power of large data sets when doing things like that. Um, the, you know, the correlations that can be made with like, like these data sets of this massive, massive size uh, become almost like endless, I think, amount of things you can do. Yeah. I, I wonder if you can uh, like FOIA request uh, your own information from, <laughs> from this project like you, I, lost, I lost my phone i lost my phone yesterday and i really need to know every place that i was and i had a long night <laughs> so you're gonna have to help me out <laughs> yeah or i i blacked out and um i was robbed at some point during the night you know and we can get it with a subpoena yeah well, yeah, no, this is, um, this all leads into our, our actual topic, which we can start talking about now, which is counter surveillance and anti forensics. Um, so yeah, we, we discuss counter surveillance quite a bit, uh, in terms of both, um, 
anonymity and privacy and OPSEC, but there's a bit more to counter surveillance than we might be touching on. And so I, I guess I, you know, we put out this poll on Twitter and everybody voted on, on this um, with a close second to the, um, the nation state hacking one, which you can do for a future episode. Um, so I guess we can go over some of the sort of basic concepts of it and then just get into the more practical uses and, and little stories that we might have. Um, so what is counter surveillance? What would you guys, how would you guys uh, describe counter surveillance? Um, I think we should probably clarify like counter surveillance as a practice. There's mm -hmm. probably two main um, scenarios. One, which we've talked about a shitload, which is OPSEC. Mm -hmm. And that would be uh, mostly the more passive side of it. But there's also the, the more active side of counter surveillance for doing things like sweeping for listening devices and, you know, being very um, tinfoil hat paranoid, which we've also done, we've talked a lot about paranoia as well and when paranoia is warranted. Um, and I think if you're in the situation where you are worried about counter surveillance, that, um, you know, that's when that paranoia turns to like legitimacy. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's there's legitimate reasons for our surveillance because there are scenarios where people are under surveillance and or espionage. And so there, you know, this kind of goes back to, I think, Faith, you had shared like the thing, the, the listening device um, that was used in the 50s, I believe. Um, and we've talked about certain uh, covert listening devices and things like that, but those are real threats to people um in the real world especially if you're you know um either you know high executive or um you know a politician of some sort there's also the reason that people would do something like this um and so there's techniques that people have developed over time um to do things like bug sweeping and to detect uh what is it like non-linear junction detection for components inside of listening devices but it's um it kind of gets more interesting as we as technology evolves because we have the ability to be surveilled in so many ways, not just by governments or by um, you know spy agencies, but even by our loved ones. And so the whole idea of counter surveillance kind of gets brought into the picture the more we have the ability to surveil each other. Yeah, I think like we we're talking about earlier, the ultrasonic stuff. Um, if you don't want to. You know, but like just straight up, if you don't want to be involved with any of that shit, don't own any of those devices. Like, put them away, away from you, far away. The RMS method. <laughs> yeah. Hackers will be free. Um, Man, I was reading. I was reading his his web page today. It's just gold. It's amazing. What a beautiful man. I think um, if we look as well as at like uh, data centers and things like that, um, you know, uh, when during the construction of a data center, we're talking about like paint that dampens and prevents signal leakage and uh, the same thing with like glazing on windows and stuff like that. Um, you know, it's so that data can't be exfiltrated uh, through those buildings sort of like easily. Um, still not impossible like we've seen plenty of secure buildings get breached in 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 many ways um but i think yeah like there's like counter surveillance doesn't just 
cover the electronic stuff as well but there's plenty of like physical stuff you know how mm -hmm. do you stop photos of yourself being taken from a distance with a massive lens oh man there's actually there's actually a really creepy video on youtube where basically this guy starts off with a close-up image of some people i think walking on a beach or something and he slowly zooms out and turns out he's all he's almost like like a kilometer and a half away so far that you can't even like see those people with the naked eye like a thousand times zoom yeah yeah like, like paparazzi the, like yeah have you can insane. use those cameras to see like serial numbers on planes yeah that's good really yeah, like, like the what was that? Oh, I'm saying it's a lot of fun. Just go ahead and start investing in some photography equipment. You can do a lot of people watching. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, I, at, at that level of Zoom, it becomes like an actual challenge uh, for like stabilizing a thing like that. Like, oh, I see my <laughs> ridiculous uh, challenges. So uh, I, I think, you know, the way like one simple way I learned in uh, taking uh, uh, this terrorism awareness training that I did one time is like, you know, uh, always take a different route, route home or don't always go to the same place at the same time. Like you, you change up your routine so that you're not predictable so that you are not in the place that people maybe expect you to be at a certain time. Well, yeah, there's also like in SIGINT, right? It's like, even like, uh, you can surveil someone's like messages back and forth, but there's even um, like data to be extracted in the silence, right? Like, um, definitely Japanese, like kamikazes come in, came in <laughs> on, uh, you know, to bomb Pearl Harbor. They were like, okay, well, Japan's 100% silent. Like, what does this mean? This is fishy. So, so here's, um, yeah. So this is kind of far out, but you know, say you had a device on your network that constantly generates traffic that kind of looks like normal, you know, maybe it goes to Facebook, it does Google searches, it like talks to Netflix and stuff. And you, you could potentially, uh, mitigate that threat by just having that device doing sort of random stuff that looks like you all the time so that when you're not there it doesn't really look like anything's different yeah, i don't know actually it, a really good idea someone someone yeah. here should work on that well, well uh, I mean, even, i'll take 100 percent credit for that one <laughs> well, there's also um like people have done location analysis and like different like time-based things on just times of people's Twitter posts. You can see like what their sleep schedule looks like and you know when people are in this location and X, Y, Z. Yeah, yeah so that's... Um, one of the things that I did it, uh, I've done a few times is um, not for, for a couple of reasons. One of the reasons being obviously um, network architecture security, but when you have an open VPN, for example, and um, you use an open VPN desktop client, you'll be logging into the VPN or say SSH or something at specific times. And that those times will be correlated with logs. There might be remote syslog on the other end, um, things like that. 
Um, but why not just use a router to stay connected 24 seven and have, you know, that traffic going through it at all times. Just say you have a internal service like email, um, and most email clients check email periodically. So if you're on the VPN and you've got, you're checking your email periodically, are you, or are you not at the computer? Uh, I remember there was a talk where someone talked about, uh, how the FBI literally just shoved the power to a block, uh, <laughs> like to like prove like by timing, uh, someone was connected. Yep. This, uh, I, I, so I talked to um, four octets before this. He unfortunately could not join us, so he kind of gave me a, a bit of a, a brain dump on you know what he wanted to touch on. And a lot of that really connects in with what you guys are currently talking about, which is um, anti-forensics from the perspective of just OPSEC. Uh, when, when somebody is going to forensically try to prove you did something, it's detecting failures within OPSEC. Yeah, that is true. Because I mean, we, we do stuff like, you know, try to randomize things, try to, you know, maybe have something that, like a mouse jiggler or, you know, something that might open up random connections to websites and things. But there's also the the real things that you're going to be doing. You're not really going to ever create a full profile of yourself that would be able to concurrently work alongside you to randomize. Because I mean, if you have a computer making that, then you have also a computer that can read that and say, all right, so this seems to be every five minutes opening up YouTube and every 10 minutes opening up Reddit and then cycling through three pages each time in the same span of time. That can be filtered out pretty quickly because you say, okay, this is not a person doing this, this is a bot. I mean, just the same thing as you can determine, you know, comment patterns or or when somebody bots a SoundCloud song, you know, or something, you know, anything that you would get see a red tube in there. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Uh -huh. Um so when you see when you see when people do stuff like that, you 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 can tell, all right, there was, you know, three hundred comments on this thing all in five minutes. This doesn't make any sense. Even if they try to look natural, it's very difficult to make yourself seem natural. Exactly. I, I, I got a little story about um, a bot that I wrote to play a certain like uh, a certain online game, and um, this is like a third-party service to do with that game, and it was it became a back and forth between me and the and the developers. Uh, well, me a, a few a couple of other groups were doing the same thing in the developers, and basically um, how it went was the first iteration of my bot got banned in like five minutes, and I was like, oh okay, that's fine, making your account to it again. And um, you know, the, as, as, as we progressed, we actually got to the point where uh, I was using like headless browsers and, and stuff like that. Like I'd gone from using like URL lib in, in, in Python to, to now we're talking phantom JS or whatever. Um, and they started doing things like detecting frequency of play, how quickly the actions um, that you make are moved. And like, I was already doing things like like user agent spoofing and, and using um, Tor proxies and, and stuff like that. Um, and then in some cases I was running the bots from the same machine as the actual account that would use the, like from the same machine from the original account yep. that was being botted. Um, and then I was adding like randomized intervals uh, for when to play. Eventually I split it up into a whole bunch of accounts that would um, take turns in seeing 
uh, the, so that each bot only had to check the site one day of like when it was able to to play this this game, um, and then if the event that it wanted to partake in, some bots played, some bots didn't. Like there was a percentage where they would sleep. There was an eight hours eight hour plus sleep time on where the bots would just not play because they were asleep. Um, and as I started adding these features, the dev was actively writing in these things to you know, <laughs> detect me. And it, it was pretty fun, really. Um, and then uh, eventually they did one trick that, that slipped me up pretty good for a while. And what they did was they created the exact form that I was looking for, but they put it <laughs> next to a thousand pixels left. Yes. <laughs> and awesome. The, awesome the only person who would see it were the bots and they clicked it and they all got banned and i was like all right fuck this i've made <laughs> no, bots. that's a good like, story i've i've well, there's more i've made bots look like people how do i make people look like bots <laughs> so then i released a chrome plugin that would give you a notification of the event so then what would happen is rather than the bots checking the site a whole bunch of people would install the plugin and they did, and it would notify them when to play. So they would click on it, go to the site, click on the button that was, um, you know, now's the time to play. And that would actually trigger the bot. So a person, like I now had people telling the bots what to do, like through this convoluted sort of CNC type deal. Um, and this was like all for like a stupid, like tiny web game. This wasn't even for anything good. This is just a lot of fun. And, um, <laughs> So now I've got people looking like bots because every time that the bots play, a whole extra bunch of people are playing as well. So it was super hard to tell the difference between who was a bot and who was um, a person. Now, the final thing that slipped me up besides the site shutting down, but the final thing that slipped me up was um, in the Chrome notification, um, what they started doing was adding a hidden, so they, they obviously uh, had downloaded the Chrome plugin, extracted it, looked at the source code, had a look how it grabbed the contents of one of the fields shown in the notification, and they added the user ID, like that was invisible on the site, but it came up in the pop-up still. And then they manually went through those <laughs> and started banning people directly off the user ID <laughs> nice. from the Chrome notifications. And that was nice. like... That was a really fun back and forth, and um, the dev actually hates my guts, but I, I really think... <laughs> I wonder why the website shut down. <laughs> yeah. Well, they actually got shut down for um, uh, using, having real money involved in their in their system that was supposed to be fake. Like, it was a, it was a fake gambling type thing, um, but there was no real money involved, and eventually it came out that these guys were selling credits for real money on the side and that's when they got shut down nice actually... uh, um, mg uh we spoke just before the show do you want to talk a little bit about um the uh rf jamming kind of counter surveillance techniques that you've looked into yeah um so there's uh, at a raw rf level there are things you can do that make uh, at least pinpointing the origins of your signal a little harder. Um, if you've ever looked at just the general sound output of a, or just an RF signal of any form, uh, you're going to have a noise floor, right? And generally, you have to broadcast above the noise floor to be heard. Uh, that's technically not true. You can actually broadcast below the noise floor, and as long as you 
are tuned to the right frequency that you're expecting the transmission on, you can still pick that up and you can do things like widen it out to make the throughput better. But that makes it a lot harder from a scanning perspective. You're looking for things that, you know, they're bright in the spectrum, the things that stand out. Um, so it's, it's a lot harder to kind of track you down that way because you, you just do not stand out of the, the usual crowd that people are expecting. So that is, that's one interesting technique. Of course, it's not absolute. Eventually, they'll find you, but it's, a, it's an interesting approach. And then there's just uh, hiding on lesser used bands, you know, kind of the security through obscurity approach, um, apparently. Oh God, was it Pakistan or something? Anyway, they're they're using uh, like shortwave radios to transmit um, between, I think it's smartphone devices, and that's a lot harder for them to pick up on just because they don't currently have the infrastructure to to detect that. They're they're expecting cell signals or sat phones, and uh, shortwave radio inside a mountain range when they're low power doesn't transmit too far, so. Uh, it keeps things relatively localized, so it's it's a lot harder to pick up on that with tra traditional kind of centralized uh, surveillance gear, as an example. Yeah, and a lot of the at, at the defense level um, to 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 get around that counter surveillance technique, they use like spread spectrum um, frequency yeah. hopping and jumping between different different massively different technologies. Yeah. Um, because there, there are countermeasures and there are detections for frequency hopping um, yeah. that stand out. Instead of seeing like a modulated data stream at a particular frequency, you're seeing a lot of frequency hopping around, and that becomes suspicious in a in a relatively quiet radio zone. Yeah. Um, and uh, uh, it seems that a lot of the attacks that we've been looking into lately, like even simple stuff like you know uh, wireless attacks against Soho routers, a lot of that re revolves around um, deauthentication, flooding, and just simply transmitting at a higher power than an access point you want to spoof. Yeah. Um, same thing occurs in, in GSM and Stingray GPRS stuff. And uh, it seems th the same thing occurs in Zigbee and other like Bluetooth uh, personal oh, yeah. area kind of radio. Um, yeah, I wonder if we'll end up having to resort to the same countermeasures like frequency hopping um, across the, the Zigbee range. Um, huh to bypass jammers, I don't know. So when it talks a lot about um, like radio stuff, pitches, like remote being like s surveilled, what about things like, uh, like, like how many people RM stuff versus use like scrub? Oh man, this, this is a good topic. And this is um, a lot of what four octets uh, hit on. So I'd love to jump in here after you guys answer. No, go, I'm just bringing it up. Okay, yeah, um, he uh, had a lot to say about the on-device uh, forensics opportunities. And a lot of people, of course, we, we know about compartmentalization. A lot of people still use their uh, their primary daily driver machine. Sometimes they'll drop into VMs. You, you, I mean, you know the game. Sometimes eventually we'll get up to a dedicated machine. But there are a lot of things even within those environments that people don't consider. Um, a lot of uh, systems will log a lot of information about an external drive that's plugged in, like a thumb drive, right? Uh, I can't remember if it's the serial number. There, there is some unique identifier that gets logged on a system you every did. time you plug in a device. Is Oh, yeah, you did. Um, so, for example, if you get your house turned inside out, they're going to look at that if they have access to it. And 
maybe there's one device on there that they actually don't have an inventory. They're going to know that's probably a really attractive device to go look down. Um, and if, when was it like two weeks ago? Uh, I, I had no idea about this before, but apparently there are cyber dogs, right? They will take, bring a dog in your house and they will sniff out uh, electronic components. So this, this kid had, a, I think it was a thumb drive hidden inside of like a tissue box. Yeah. Um, I know, right? Like I, that, I had no idea dogs can sniff out uh, electronics specifically for this type of scenario. That, that just, Whoa. that was nuts, right? Like that changes so much. Like I was, I was thinking, oh man, I could have stuff on like a micro SD card. I can like bury that in some like structure within the house. Nobody will ever find it. I'm like, oh crap. Cyber Holy dogs, shit. man. I'm <laughs> what did you put in around auto electronics? Dude, I would like to just bring this up. This is really gross, but this is a story that I've been given from a knowledgeable source. And oh my god! You're gonna tell me what I did? Faith, I think I think you know this story already. <laughs> yep. Thank uh, you. It was a jar of a person's personal stash oh. of their own bodily fluid. Oh. And there was a thumb drive hidden in that because they thought nobody would touch it and it turns out Fuck. someone just put a glove on and dealt with it no. on them. oh god damn i guess yeah, exactly. at least make it uh, make someone else have a bad day <laughs> yep uh -huh. and uh yeah yes yeah, spinning off that a little bit more there's um uh vms right there's a lot of things people don't consider there like th those are taking memory snapshots uh, in a lot of scenarios, like if you don't shut it down cleanly, I think VirtualBox actually is probably doing snapshots more frequently, but you're effectively creating a forensic image of your VM environment and pushing it to the disk on, on your host machine uh, if you don't know what you're doing there. And that, again, that, that can totally screw you. Um, endless logs in, in many locations. So obviously this points towards you know, have some sort of ephemeral uh, non-static system, you know, like Tails, right? I, ideally, push that to a dedicated dedicated piece of hardware. But ultimately, you should you should be looking up how other people are getting busted because it's really educational. Uh, it'll not only tell you you know what not to do, but it'll it'll show how forensics really are being done and what they are looking for because um, it doesn't always line up with best practices. You guys remember there's one feature of Backtrack that I don't know why it isn't in Kali because it's it was a super smart thing to put in there and that was you could boot Backtrack to memory and then remove the storage altogether. Yeah, you could have that's that's what Nopix did too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that 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 got removed a long time ago, but that was in Backtrack up to Backtrack three, I think it was removed in four, maybe. I, I'd have to check that, but yeah, um, Mossad must have. Maybe to shut it down. Mm -hmm. Maybe interesting, but I remember something about actually forensics modes actually does that. It doesn't mount any of the drives. Interesting. Yeah. And there was a super silent mode as well, where when you booted, um, the network um, stack wasn't started at all. So you, you boot with no network stack. You boot directly to RAM, and then like you choose us. what you want to up. Yeah, and you also um, <laughs> <laughs> like Plan Nine. Just because it doesn't work, <laughs> but um, but no, seriously, like uh, you, the I think what what happened was because if you remember, like Backtrack didn't used to start the window manager either, which starts DBus, which starts like you know it's all system D shit now, starts network manager, um, 
and previously, like you had to up all that stuff yourself. So you would start and you'd have a root shell on a console and then you would decide what you want to do. And um, I guess Carly's just been dumbed down so far for mad skids that <laughs> that's the reality we live in now. I don't know. I think it's probably more to do with the fact that a lot of pen testing needs a web browser now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and Backtrack was like the pre-web app uh, I mean, web app bugs existed back in back then, but you're like PHF, CGI, Perl exploits and stuff. Was, uh, yeah, was uh, the backtrack was like for network stuff. Linux stuff, not so much for like Windows and web app stuff. Yeah, it definitely didn't have the tool set, but I'm pretty sure it had um, browsers and things like that. I can't remember. Yeah, you just didn't have to boot it up by default. And for most, most use cases, you never really needed to start X at all. So you didn't need a window manager or a browser. I'm just you trying to find this. Yeah, I'm just trying to find this tweet. I can't remember who tweeted it. it uh, recently, there was um, somebody said, "Oh, I can't believe like oh, I've forgotten how much data is stored when you in, when you plug in a USB device." Yep. And there was just yeah, there was just like a a, a few screenshots that were really good to show like. Yeah, that's on four octets. USB six. Four octets tweeted that a couple of days ago. Yeah, exactly. That's the kind of stuff he was talking about. Yeah, depending on what you do with the drive, I mean, just plugging it in, of course, is going to create a log. Um, but sometimes you will leave indicators about the contents of that if you're accessing or executing anything on that drive that stay on your system, unless you are intentionally seeking out and destroying that. And of course, depending on how you destroy it, also can, can create uh, forensic problems for yourself. Hey, we just got an interesting thing in the chat. Um... So, you know, Kittles and Bits here says, um, sounds like something that Pirate Bay was using because um, when they got raided, the feds cut the power and all their servers are running in memory. So there wasn't anything on the disk for forensic purposes. Yeah. I think that's one of the things I miss about CD drives was that it was a read-only uh, read uh, medium for the most part. So you could boot from CD and just not have a hard disk. And then when, the, like, you put reboot on Cron, and no logs, no crime. Yep. I mean, I don't do crime, no crime. <laughs> no crime, no crime. Yeah. I mean, luckily, thumb drives are relatively cheap, so you can do you can just obliterate the things, but it's not that same level of assurance of guaranteeing there is no way something was written to this. I always run an RDP. I mean, if I, you know, want to be secure. Yep. So, um, so the, another thing that's funny as well is SSH keys. Um, if you guys remember in the case of Albrecht to the Silk Road, um, there was an SSH key for Frosty at Frosty. Yep. And that was one of the um, e emails he had brief, like briefly used on Stack Overflow to ask a question um, and then changed it. It was it was the link. That was the link. Frosty yep. at Frosty, done. And then it's, they're like, oh, oh man. No, exactly. That's that's a, a good topic. Another couple of things on, on this list I've got um, is is just reusing things that you don't think about. I mean, obviously, you know, the, the same username or the same email to sign up. Um, how, how about avatars? Like sometimes people will reuse an avatar from something or, or even uh, less. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or, or even less considered same password. People people don't actually think that the password can give you away. Yeah, like the people who had been able to track certain botnets through doing dumps of the most common passwords and seeing that there was like 
you know, 150,000 passwords that were all the same, like, base 64 string. Yep. Or, or maybe, you know, you're running Silk Road, and you use the same password. Everything else is different, but the same password you log into Facebook with. I was reading a paper about, like, analyzing people's text and, like, natural language processing and, like, finding spelling errors and basically giving, like, an authorship based on the, the people's yep. text. Um, in the, uh, the, the darknet world, who am yeah. I talking over? Sorry. Uh, just to, to follow up from what MG said about using the same passwords across multiple sites, it's actually encouraged in the darknet markets to use the same PGP key as, huh. a, uh, as an identifier to prove that you are the, the original vendor cannabis king from Silk Road 1. You Man. maintain the same PGP private public private key pair across yeah. all of the different darknet sites that get shut down. And that's encouraged. Like people yeah. post on Reddit to say, Hi, I'm the original guy. Here's a PGP site message to prove it. Um, that's just that's just giving so much information to law enforcement. It's insane. It, how do you how do you solve that though? Because I get the intent, which is uh, maintaining reputation, right? And if you have absolute OPSEC around maintaining those keys, maybe you're fine. But obviously, that goes against uh, security. So, is there is there a good solution for reputation? Keybase? I, I don't know. Well, yeah, I've seen people switch out their PGP keys, but if you just keep track of it, like you know, it's not really good. Yeah, you, you, exactly so, uh, right. Another thing as well is if you look at like eBay posts. Say you've got like ten people who do eBay posts. A lot of yeah. people who are into eBay, if they've got ten accounts, they all look this like all the posts look the same. The content, right? Yeah. Um, I just wanted to bring up as well, like if you remember that uh, Cisco, in the, but just speaking of darknet things, Cisco had um, a technology that they were using for packet analysis, um, uh, post exit node and pre entry node, where they were able to detect um, uh, users passing through um, the Tor network. Did you guys see any of that? Not the top of my head. I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. How did, yeah, can you explain it a little more? Here's a motherboard article about it. I'll just put in the voiceless voice, but it's... Uh... So, yeah, so um, they were using different methods um, to basically uh, intercept traffic in clear text regions and be able to sort of, you know, determine who people were at either ends of the darknet. Now that obviously doesn't include, uh, so that's what that's that's going from clearnet to darknet to clearnet. Yeah. Uh, and it works a little little different um, on the actual like direct if you're going directly to an onion site. Um, but even still, like if you say you use Tor for a bunch of stuff, and then you use, then you use Facebook as well separately. But um, Facebook tracks what you start typing into Messenger and the way that you type it, the speed of your keystrokes, that kind of thing. You can still take that back to the darknet and go like, hey, uh, someone who's using this site is typing in this way, like exact way. And now this is like a new um, point of data to track someone. Huh. Emoji analysis. Yeah, emoji analysis, a real thing. How fucked up is that? We've used it before, not just here recently. What a world we live in. I think there's one um, one angle to this that we haven't really covered, and it's um, kind of defining uh, the difference between like counter surveillance and anti forensics. They're both in the yes. same field, but 
um, forensics is really like for 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 court related um, after the event, you know, gathering evidence, building a case against somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, what about real time detection and real time anti network surveillance? I'm thinking and, and operating system um, security controls. How do you guys go about defeating like uh, endpoint security, AV uh, intrusion detection on the network and like DLP protection for PCI data, that kind of stuff. You just own the admin. You just, you just, yeah. I mean, we think about the big cases, like if you're using, if you're using all of the, the recommended hardcore OPSEC techniques, like the, the alpha Bay admin or Ross Ehrlich from the Silk Road, um, They'll, they'll snatch you when you're at the library computer or they'll drive a car through your front door while your laptop's open and locked in to the darknet market. Um, and all of that stuff just disappears. If, if you're that valuable of a target, they'll, they'll grab your laptop while it's hot while you're typing at it uh, with armed guards. And so all of those things kind of fall away. Um, yeah, the actual phrase that I've been told was, um, if you were fucking up, we'd flashbang you while you were taking your morning shit. Yeah, they do no not war- like warrants. They'll just kick your door in. Like, yeah. yeah. It's always when you're asleep. That's why I do an RDP with a dead man switch. If you don't respond to like a certain amount of time, it just lights it. Yep. It's more interesting. Yeah, yeah, like, you can also... Recovery of data? Sorry, go ahead. Well, I was just, I was just saying, like, you, you can do... Um, there, there's things you can do to know when you're getting raided. Only drug dealers have security cameras. <laughs> no. Well, I mean, there's there's like sort of RF solutions. You know, everyone's leaking data. Yep. You know, so, and, you know, this could be construed like one way or the other, but like, I, you know, I, I want to know if anyone is kicking down my door you know, at least like a minute, 30 seconds before it happens. Because, you know, I, it's important, you, you need that time to, to, to differentiate between, uh, you know, like the cops or a, a criminal, you know, I mean, like, for example, if you're getting swatted, you, you know, <laughs> it's, it's, it's important, it's important that you're not holding a gun when, when they kick down your door. They don't always though, like go to in your house. Like like I know with like the Golden State Killer, they like waited outside of his house for like a couple days until he actually left, and yeah. then they apprehended him. Yeah. So um, yeah, I've heard again. I, th- I mentioned this last week about um, uh, when when two people have RDPs and don't know their own disk crypto and they like unlock each other's machines or whatever. Oh, um, interesting. Yeah, I, I mentioned it last week, but um, like they just used the regular techniques to you know regular surveillance with cameras to watch them type the password you know <laughs> they like they, they identified the people they did surveillance and it was it was a good try i guess but um not, not good enough you know um that kind of on the periphery of that um going back to before they know physically where you are um I've, I've asked this to a few people and the the answers are interesting so how would you guys defend against this which is basically um the the investigator, the attacker, whatever it may be, um, gains access to whatever wireless device is kind of connecting in your pathway, whether that's your, uh, you know, home router or the laptop, whatever it may be, and effectively does 
a site survey to see all your neighbors' wireless access points. And through that, uh, you're effectively leaking your, your geolocation. Um, what, what is, I don't know, have, have you guys heard of that happening before? And kind of what, what would your general approach be to defending against that? So it sounds like you're kind of tying into what original purpose or IMSI captures were. I mean, just using it for correlation of actually finding what IMSIs are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, is that kind of the same thing? Is that kind of what uh, you're talking kinda. about? Kind of. The thing is uh, to do this, I mean, this person can be halfway across the world and you're just trying to get uh, where they physically exist. So you would, you know, gain, gain remote access to whatever that device is. And then through surveying the nearby wireless, you're effectively uh, finding physically where they are in the world. So I know uh, UK does something similar too. I mean, they actually have Wi-Fi scanners and they'll actually sit there and monitor and kind of see what beacons you're putting out. Um, you're talking about yeah. this compromising device in itself, but I'm kind of thinking about all the metadata that's being leaked just from your device when it's actually not connected. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's kind of the reverse of it is like, are, are you emitting something and monitor there? This this is kind of the, the opposite direction of that. It's like, what are your neighbors emitting? It's, it's like Skyhook, the same way you do geolocation based on uh, wireless uh, nearby, you just so, gain access to the the machine you're after. So you, uh, you can't. Funny. Sorry, go on. Well, you you can't stop your your neighbors from transmitting the MAC address of their yep. hotspot. Exactly. Right. So I mean, you would have to. I mean, you'd have to do something kind of custom so that your device. I I don't know, man. But you, you can't Let stop this that. Paint? <laughs> Aren't uh, the routers, don't they increase their uh, broadcasting range depending on where you are? So, like, you can maybe monitor how powerful the signal is? Yeah, 82.11.1K. Uh, 82.11, 82.1K, I think, is that. See, so I know cell phones do that, but that's, that's an example. I'm not sure about 82.11. Yeah, that's, um, yeah, that's the, so that was what the, the, there was an iOS bug that, um, when it was implemented, used it, but I believe that was only on like AC networks. Like I can't remember where it's implemented. Um, and yeah, like uh, RQ, RQ, you just put a really good thing. Like I don't know about you guys, but like I wire as much stuff as my, as I can, not yep. for emissions, but for efficiency. But um, yep, wire what you can. And um, Another interesting thing is like people at airports, like say you didn't know you were a tar- like so you're not part of this like, kind of uh, environment that we're exposed to. Um, say you're, you're just like a random guy, right? And you're at um, an airport, you're at LAX or whatever, and the Wi-Fi is down again and your flight's not for two hours and you see this other access point come up that says like, you know, LA backup free Wi-Fi um, or LAX backup free Wi-Fi or whatever turns out that that's the person who wants to track you you try to connect to it you know they bait you into connecting to it and now you're sending out beacons until you format your device you know <laughs> so now this is uh, that's sort of like a like a physical almost physical um version of like spear phishing basically um right. you'd be able to set up something because i mean people are predictable and if you're trying to you know track and target somebody for something like this it's definitely easy to determine where somebody would be, what somebody would be doing, and be able to just kind of uh, go in and, and do something like that. Same thing with the, we've seen that with um, the, I think it's in China, with the uh, access points that just sideload a bunch of weird, uh, like, 
APK malware. They do that. They do that with Bluetooth too. I know there are like companies that monitor your Bluetooth signal as you walk around the store to see like the foot traffic. Yeah, yeah. so um, I heard about that too. It's pretty cool stuff. Have I ever talked on the show about the the, the, the Bluetooth on the train? No. What's that? Uh, so there was a guy. I hope I've been. I'm not re- repeating this story. I think I might be, but there was a guy that was uh, tracking Bluetooth. Um, broadcasts on like nearby devices on the train on his way to work every day and he was able to tell like who got on what like you know at what time what station where they got on where they got off like how long they were on the train for and all that kind of stuff just through like passively gathering oh information. yes yes that's a that's a big thing that i i remember playing with before with uh a raspberry pi that just collected um, Bluetooth data to see because you can see like when people pass by and you can see based on the signal strength you know where relatively they're moving and um, if you have two of them then you'd be able to triangulate where somebody is directly like, are they doing that in the United they're doing that in the United States right now with like that whole AL, ALPR and then putting that stuff like in uh, the light poles in the highway so as you're passing by it's pulling intelligence of where you might have been or whatever you guys see that uh, there's actually a good talk on this called surveilling a city for fun and frivolity yes uh that was really really neat where it's just um about how much information you could just pull just sitting there listening and, so the, um and then like the android developer um, chain fire i don't know you guys if you've done any android hacking you've probably used chain fires su and root tools so he wrote a tool a few years ago called prify um and that's that's designed to just obfuscate wireless stuff. It just spams out like it, it it clones nearby SSIDs and their MAC address, and it spams out changes names, changes BSSIDs, um, spoofs clients. It just constantly creates a storm of Wi-Fi activity from the device that it's running on. What's the name? Um, and if you carry this around in your pocket it negates any kind of uh, identification or anything of, of what your device is actually doing based on like networks that it regularly scans for. It actually blocks your device from actually scanning for any known APs, but it's what, what other people are doing around you. It copies exactly what it sees on the, on the airwaves and replays it. And I've seen other the people, the tool? I think he based it P-R-Y-F-I, Pryfi. Um, and he didn't, he didn't invent this technique. He based it off some, some script, a uh, proof of concept script someone wrote years ago um, that used w, WPA supplicant to do the same thing. Nice. Uh, it's interesting. Cozy Bear uh, just posted in, um, in the voice's voice about screw driving as well. If anybody's, like, <laughs> <laughs> you guys not, someone want to, I don't want to explain this one. I've already explained some weird shit. Someone else explained screw driving. Or driving for sex toys. Yeah, can we just post the picture there? Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll put that up on the stream. But yeah, I, I thought that's fun. Like, have you guys tried, like, you guys have captured BLE traffic, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's just so fucking noisy. There are so many devices. I found that, like, writing Wireshark filters for BLE was just really, really difficult to find my own stuff just because of the way that it's uh yeah dude formed, I when i was working on it in a uh for a vendor device we had to actually work in like a special isolated room just so that people's phones and fitbits and shit didn't interfere with our our work it was, it was overwhelming 
yeah yeah it just it's there's so much and like you you're writing these like ridiculously long filters and heaven forbid you fuck it up because then you're like you're constantly copying and pasting back between uh like you know your text editor or whatever just to keep track of how long your fucking filter is just to find one device i want i want to get some uh, raspberry pis as sensors to basically log all uh in range wireless and uh bluetooth beaconing and general traffic to potentially correlate it with people who show up you know at the end of my driveway or you know maybe maybe somebody breaks in right uh I, i think that type of uh information if you collect it right uh could be valuable like did that person show up a week earlier hey let's check out the security cameras try to correlate so using radar i've yeah. yeah i've thought about this a little bit i mean you you can do i mean you really need two devices like on each end of your property yeah. and you've got some options you can do wi-fi you know like if they've got wi-fi on then it's always searching for a device that it knows so it sort of leaks something yes. and it's less le- it's less effective now that they do uh mac address randomization mm-hmm. with the iphone uh but you can and you can do bluetooth um and it would be totally illegal to use uh cell uh signal with like mm-hmm. an uh rtl str um but if you had two of those on each end of your property in theory you know everyone that goes up and down your street that's true and uh, with with the wireless portion of that uh you can still see what they're beaconing for so you know that's their preferred wireless list um and i realize you only have the ssid you don't have the bssid so you can't do a whole lot with it but imagine having the entire skyhook database right and then they're going to have some semi-unique ssids imagine if you could pull all of them from that database you're going to substantially reduce um the number and maybe through some analytics, you can at least ge- create a general heat map and maybe a target list of like, hey, these are the 25 likely places based on where you live and the number of SSIDs that match what this device was looking for. These are the 25 likely pa- places that person lives uh, as or, an example. So, you know, or, or, or just, you know, like this is probably a person that I know this oh, yeah. is probably a person that comes up and down the street a lot. Yep. And uh, and that turns on a green LED. Yep. But when you know a stranger appears, it turns on a red one. Yep. Anomaly detection. That'd be good. So um, just on that as well, like Wi-Fi is one thing, but um, I guess uh, getting back into some more tinfoil hat type shit um there were i have seen that people have made using two rtl sdrs like full bug sweepers like pike do you know anything about have you seen anything about that oh interesting pike's not there pike you still there pike you radio nerd sir there he goes oh god i'm back all right sorry i missed the question there Hey, uh, do, do you know anything, like, so I, I don't know where the article is, I had a quick Google, I couldn't find it, but there was, um, like, people who had made bug sweepers using two RTL SDRs to sweep their apartment with. See, I heard about people doing that, and I kind of get the basic idea, but I'm not too familiar with it, and never actually tried it. Okay, yeah, like, I've never, I haven't done it, I've heard people doing it, but, uh, yeah. But basically, it's just looking for the amplitude of certain frequencies that it may be in the area. 
it, hmm. that's really kind of all it is. It's just like it pulls up an FFT and then it actually goes like, oh, hey, there's like a lot of power in this one range. I wonder what that is. And maybe you should probably let a user know. So with, with doing that, though, uh, say it's a non-transmitting device, um, there's still emissions like we've seen with uh, system bus radio and, and other like crazy exfiltration stuff that um, a lot of electronics give out emissions just from like, you know, highly powered oscillators or whatever. Um, like, how feasible do you think it is to pick up like random electronics at a close range um, just with an well, RTL? Very feasible. In fact, it's actually a problem for uh, certain frequencies like 2.4 gigahertz. I know uh, USB 3, you got to put a choke on that little uh, magnet device if you're going to try to actually get anything worthwhile because you're going to start getting interference just from that. I mean, that's this is kind of an overall problem. I mean, you can also look back in history and like when Atari was building consoles, they actually had one noisy machine that was literally just jamming everything in sight. You'd be surprised. I, I remember when I, I had my um, uh, Intel uh, uh, two, it was like 222 megahertz processor and I had a, a scanner and when the computer was running, I could just pick up, <laughs> I, I could literally just hear the computer uh, running on, on that frequency. Yeah, the, the Israelis found a lot of ways to like oscillate a CPU at 2.4 gigahertz and exfiltrate to a nearby cell <laughs> device. Um, so one of the, another, like some surveillance techniques, I think that were displayed at DEF CON a long time ago. Uh, so nothing new, but there was, um, routers that were using, uh, that had been backdoored to use LEDs to flash in certain patterns to exfiltrate parts of data. Obviously you can't recreate the whole data with just, you know, um, but yeah, using high speed cameras and the, the yeah, you just want credentials. It's not like they're blinking like shitloads of data, like everything that passes through. You're just basically trapping credentials because that's really what you want, and then blinking it out with LEDs. Yeah, and then like if we look at um, another thing, like that's interesting as well is like so basically a speaker is technically a microphone in a way as well, right? So at the you reverse the polarity. Level, yeah, so if you if you were to build an implant for a device that was known to be a speaker only, you could potentially also use it as a microphone, um, as a backdoor device, you know, which is interesting as well because it's not something you would generally look at. Um, just quick question as a side, like, do you guys put tape over your uh, microphones and, and and cameras and shit? Yes. Over the camera. I use it, but yes, I do tape it over. Yeah. On your cell phone camera as well? Yes. No, I uh, love taking selfies. I don't do that. Hermit has a... Uh, That's uh, creepy, uh, man. On hers. <laughs> it's a, uh, a raw pepper seed. I wonder if Zuckerberg has tape over his iPhone <laughs> camera. Probably. There's a, there's a picture of his MacBook Pro with... um. A tape over the uh, the microphone port as well, the microphone hole. Interesting. Um, Just use an operating some... system that actually compartmentalizes those uh, devices, and you should be fine. Just don't Not leave perfect. the house or use the internet ever, pretty much. Don't use technology. <laughs> live in a cave. So now, has anybody taken like physical? measures to um actually secure their phones like 
Um, we had Jay Random, someone in the chat had said uh, about disconnecting, um, like your the like the mo microphones and the cameras. Has anyone actually gone to that level? Yeah, last night I actually spilled um, soup on my uh, fingerprint scanner, and now it doesn't work. <laughs> nice. <laughs> So there is a subreddit. There is a subreddit of um of lunatics that that do things like um hammer hammer and nail through like the the Wi-Fi chips on their phones and um remove microphones from their devices, black phone uh, because they just assume they're being they're being tracked and monitored by everything every possible technology that exists. Um, and these people are like uh, super super conspiratorial level um uh. I don't want to name names, but like the um, the air gap hopping malware kind of paranoia um, people. If you have a subscriber module, chances are you're being tracked because that's how your cell phone works. But also, like um, just on the topic of that, like there was um, uh, some con where they went around where everybody's uh, tag was RFID, and then they tracked um people moving around the con and then roughly replayed uh, the movement of the of, of people at the con based on their their tags um i can't remember which con it was it was some years ago now but a lot of people have um now also started like using hole punches to punch holes through the the emv chips in their like credit cards and shit <laughs> kind of makes it invalid at that point just FYE. if you're trying to explain to a cop why you got a hole punch through your freaking thing they're gonna look at you like you got a voice <laughs> license yeah well um so i've got a recent passport from australia and um re like any passport from like within like the last 10 years has rfid like right in the middle and um yeah you can buy like def at defcon just the vendor stalls for like i think they're like 10 bucks you can buy them online obviously as well but they're just like rfid blocking uh passport sleeves rfid blocking wallets all that kind of shit or you just put in the microwave for a little bit i mean it broke. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't, doesn't work with this huge black stain on it. We haven't really talked about um, counters. Well, counter surveillance techniques that we could use on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, Don't just stand next to anything that can be a diaphragm. I guess counter surveillance um, ties into a lot of pretty much like counterintelligence. You know, giving misinformation to, about your whereabouts. You know, doing simple things like leaving your cell phone at home when you go run to the store and grab beer real quick. I mean, do that. Right. I mean, did they track you? No, your home is your phone is actually at home on, and they still think you're just kind of bullshitting. Yeah, but then oh, you're from uh, surveillance at the uh, at the store. You know, like you're on video surveillance. Like, yeah, if you're not, uh, no. All the plate readers got you as you drove over there. You so, really hard to pay. Your tag went off. Eat OPSEC. So, a uh, question that I had posted kind of for the end is we're actually, it's almost 11.30 here. Um, the question that I have for the end, I mean, I know that we can have more practical stuff that we can discuss and put in the show notes. Um, but will we ever, does anybody here think that we will ever be able to fully evade surveillance in some form? Or are we sort of just hacking at weed? No, because you evade all surveillance. It, it's kind of like something that's been taught to me before. I mean, you think of like blackout operations, stuff like that. I mean, like in Iraq, there was this base that had actually uh, like night out operations. Unfortunately, they're in the middle of the city. So like in the middle of the night, you literally had this big dark spot in the middle of nowhere. 
So by practicing all this uh, counterintelligence and trying to be like private as possible, you're sticking out. I think um, there's a few ways that we see uh, celebrities and media do a lot of uh, counter information all the time. You know, like uh, look at Trump, he just sends you on a fucking tangent and everybody <laughs> follows that. Um, the US government, you know, if, if you believe in UFOs, um, then the conspiracy is that the US government just makes up swamp gas stories and then that just sort of dies it down. You know what I mean? Like, whatever. Um, uh one, one final point I did just want to bring up that I, I meant to bring up earlier was um, like USPS were found intercepting uh, Cisco routers in the mail for the CIA to backdoor or the CIA, sorry, were intercepting like Cisco hardware in the mail, like to, to physically backdoor it. And, um, sorry, go on. I was going to say like, um, if you are familiar with your hardware, in any sort of way and you open it up and you see an implant in it like well like if, if you're actually paranoid enough to check but like you you can check a lot of these things like a, they kind of stick out pretty bad yeah i mean well so someone to just brought up this too um real quick uh bus 64 in the um in the chat here um they're doing it with laptops that was revealed in the snowden leaks where it's not even about hardware implants that's I believe it was some like MBR malware that was just completely invisible to the system that you yeah. would have known that was there had you not, I don't even know how to detect that kind of thing. Well, there'd be ways to, but you would never think if you're buying like say straight from the manufacturer a new laptop that it would somehow be backdoor with NSA malware. Uh, it reminds me, there was uh, one celebrity, I think it was the kid who played Harry Potter who got tired of like paparazzi taking photos. So he just wore the same outfit every single day. Uh, so that no magazine would buy the photos cause they could like, they didn't know how old they were. <laughs> that's Jeez. pretty clever. That's, that's good. I thought about that. Yeah. that. That beats the Marilyn Manson mechanism, which was to write fuck across his face. Uh, uh -huh. didn't, didn't work at all. <laughs> <laughs> No, that's did you, guys, did you guys see the video of that cop where I guess people were doing surveillance on the cop, like paparazzi or whatever. So he would uh, go out there to his car and be rummaging through a bag and he put like a dildo on top of his car. Did you guys see that? Yeah, I remember. No. That's pretty funny. See if I can find that. Driving. I feel um, like um, science fiction countermeasures like the scramble suit in a scanner darkly and people are actually working on this kind of crazy stuff. I saw oh, there was a Japanese oh, yeah. guy that made a, he made like a hat that, that detected um, CCTV cameras and would like, it would, it would emit some kind of light under the brim of the hat to scramble the, the video image. Nice. But wasn't there, um, so somebody <clears throat> mentioned in chat yesterday about using IR to fuck up, fuck with cams. But I mean, there's a lot of cameras now that have IR lenses, have IR LEDs built in for, for night vision and stuff. But what about like there's uh, those new materials that have been like the blackest black material where light doesn't get reflected? Like when do we start getting ski masks made out of that shit? So I'm thinking very kind of like a makeup, but they'll be kind of getting into blackface, which is bad. Don't do that. Uh -huh. But it this brings ideas. Uh, I just posted in the chat uh, dazzle camouflage is another one. Yep. Have patterns that create the illusion of depth. Uh, uh, yeah, actually. Actually, what zebras evolved their stripe pattern for? 
It would be kind of cool to have um, a dynamic dazzle paint so that uh, it, it's harder to pick up on and it keeps changing so they can't match the same pattern. Maybe by uh, projecting infrared on your face from the like the, the brim of a hat. Ooh. Potentially, like uh, with you know reflect re refracting light in you know different uh, directions, so that it you know. I know someone who did that with a license plate. They put like an LCD and they remove the filter, and then when they <laughs> put the electricity on it, it just turned a black over yeah. the license plate. <laughs> yeah, and it's this kind of how the uh, the blackout windows work as well. Same same concept. This would be fun. Yeah, but as we were seeing before, we saw last week where they're not even going to be tracking plates anymore, but tracking specifically the uh, little imperfections in your car that are unique to your car, <laughs> like the little dent that your kid put in there or the scratch that your ex left you or whatever. Yeah, it's uh, like tracking the noise for like on camera lenses. Yeah. Have, have you guys seen? Have any of you guys flown on one of the the Dreamliners yet? The like. I think they're Airbus, dream, like, I can't forget yeah. one there. Okay, so the windows, you know, normally in, like, you're on a plane and they have the shutters? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, instead of the shutters, they have these fucking, it blew my mind, dude. Like, they're, they're like these uh, up and down, like, volume type controls, but it changes the tint of the window. Like, it doesn't, there's no shutter. It's like, yeah, it's crazy stuff. So, Interesting. Okay. It's a different, like, level of... Uh, Basically, using it uses electricity. It just throws electricity through the window. Well, <laughs> uh, the fact that it's like it's out here now, so it's yeah, it's wild. I know some places use that for like windows that they turn into like projector screens, mm -hmm. doing the same sort of thing. Uh, it's a Minority Report or some shit. I don't know. It's crazy. <laughs> We're moving closer and closer to that every day. But um, yeah, if we guys have any final words, we should probably wrap this up now. It's uh, getting late. I think, um, yeah, just uh, hide, hide in noise. Create a lot of junk. Multiple SIM cards, multiple burner tablets, multiple everything. Multiple identities. Everything's disposable. Also, if they really want you, they'll probably find you. Yeah. I mean, just don't, do, don't do crimes. <laughs> just don't. If you want to do crimes, you're going to have to kill yourself for the end, so get prepared. No, don't. Don't do crimes. Don't kill yourself. <laughs> Or get Amazon Turk to, you know, use five different identities that are you. Uh-huh. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, everybody, for listening in and uh, chatting here with us. Um, we'll be back next week at the same time, 9.30 p.m. America, Slack, New York. And, um, yeah, thanks for – we had a lot of good chatting today, too. We'll have uh, – we're trying to redesign our show notes page, so we'll have a nice, uh, fancy show notes Um Thanks to a little cow and hermit, and you'll be seeing that on Twitter tomorrow. So, take care, everybody. <laughs>